Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Uh, with us this week, Adam Crafton, David Ornstein, and of course our Everton writer, Greg O'Keefe. That's because Everton sacked Rafa Benitez on Sunday after six months in charge. Who is in charge at Everton, Greg? Well, I mean, Duncan Ferguson will be taking training this morning, but uh, I think the wider the wider question <laughs> we, we could be uh, we could be here. All day and night trying to try and debate that. that. That is probably the issue, really. The accountability and, and and the various factions vying for influence at Everton are, are dizzying. But ultimately, in charge, you know, is, is the top man, Fahad Mashiri, and he's uh, he's flexes muscles again and, and dispensed with yet another manager. Probably after one of the one of his shorter appointments, really. I think I saw something earlier saying that. At this rate, Sam Allardyce will, will be able to claim to be one of the longest-serving Everton managers in, in the past 10 years. The club, to an outsider, and probably to a lot of Everton fans here, Greg, was being shaped to Rafael Benitez's desires, right? A director of medical, gone. Head of recruitment, gone. Manager of scouting, gone. Director of football, going or gone. Lucas Digne, sold. Two players brought in and then the manager sacked at the end of all of those decisions. Yeah, it's remarkable, really. I mean, I was speaking to a few of my colleagues about this very thing last night, just how the lack of sense and joined up thinking, which has become characteristic with Everton uh, in, in recent years. And you're right. I mean, broadly speaking, it, that, that was the club has been shaped to a degree to Rafa's image. I mean, the two fullbacks that have come in from Rangers and Dino Kiev actually weren't Rafa picks. So it's a, I think if, if you really sort of kick the tires of it, it's interesting that the money they've spent in January haven't actually been at his behest. Whether they were going to go back in to get another midfielder or not, I don't know. But yeah, you know, you're right. He Rafa was was an influence in Marcel Brands' departure because he it's obviously in his nature to Billy says to want to do things like that himself and not to be beholden to a you know a scouting system that he didn't pick or a director of football and then Luca Dean that's the baffling one you allow him to freeze out and, and win the argument with one of your better players you then sell them to one of your direct rivals or who you know who should be on paper one of your rivals aiming to finish in the same sort of part of the table barely days later you get rid of him and I can only feel strongly that Mishiri feels that volatile that the spectre of relegation got very real for him on Saturday evening when he's gone. They've gone and been abject again at a team who everyone's associated with being you know, fit for the drop all season, really. And uh, so, suddenly it's six points between them and relegation. I'm trying to build a, you know, a half a billion pound stadium. The idea of being in the championship, he just can't countenance. And so he just acts despite all those things that you've listed saying that he really should have either not done them or give it more time. It's just chaos. Adam? 
was just looking at Everton's squad last night and they have they have players in that squad who have been signed under seven different managers. I think that probably just sort of explains how difficult this job is now for any manager who's coming in because you have such a, a hodgepodge of identities. And I know some Everton fans might say, well, maybe half of those have been signed under Steve Walsh as sporting director, as head of scouting, sporting director, whatever his specific role was, and then half under Marcel Brands. But you can see each manager's fingerprints on a lot of those signings, whether it's Andros Townsend and Demari Gray feel like Rafa players. Rondon feels like a Rafa player. James Rodriguez and Alan and Ducore were clearly, you know, Ancelotti players. So they've had this sort of sporting director model, but they've kept giving managers a huge amount of say at different points as well, but also not doing so at different points. And then you end up with this absurd situation this summer where the manager who's probably least suited to a sporting director model in Rafa Benitez because, you know, and this is a strength when it's going well and a weakness when things are going badly. He's a control freak. He's an obsessive over detail. He's got his opinions over how strength and conditioning should be done, over how recovery should be done. You know, he would still argue the changes he's made to the medical department will help the club long term. Other people at the club might might reject that. And then you have the scouting side of it as well, where if Marcel Brands left the club a few months ago, have they then signed players this month who were Marcel Brands' recommendations? And if so, why are they letting... Marcel Brands leave the club. It's there's so many inconsistencies in Everton at the moment, and it means whoever comes in is going to have a really difficult job. It seems that the power all comes from the top, clearly, mm. with Farhad Mashiri, Alicia Usmanov, who we know is influential as well, individuals and influences around both of those people too. But at the same time, if we look at Benitez and Ancelotti, they have given them a level of autonomy. So it sort of begs the question, who can succeed in this? It's not like it's the owners running the show. It's not like the managers don't have any control. Clearly, Marcel Brands didn't have the control he would have liked. He wasn't involved in the appointment of any managers, it would seem. His preferences for last summer were ignored. Normally, the director of football will be the person to appoint the manager. But when you're a... Graham Potter or Martinez or a Rooney or whoever may get the job next. Has it come to the point where you're looking at it and seeing no managers are succeeding that in that environment and I don't want it? It's a very pertinent question because, you know, Graham Potter, the early sort of soundings are that he's not not quite interested. Now, obviously, if there's going to be a formal approach, we'd have to see how persuasive that could be. But you wouldn't blame someone like Graham Potter. Why would he risk... At, at this stage when he's building his reputation, but he's already beaten Everton once this season with Brighton. Why would he risk the chaos and the potential to be going and be chewed up and spat out? Same for Wayne Rooney. Obviously, there are there's different circumstances and there's the added emotional resonance with Rooney, but you've got to think that word sort of gets around quickly in football about what it's like to work at clubs and a lot of coaches, and I know money talks and Everton have, you know, in, in certain regards, the ability to spend on, on wages albeit not so much the big players that they want at the moment because of financial fair play. But surely at some point people are going to be warned off this job and just be reluctant to even get involved. As far as Mashiri is concerned, within the club, how is he viewed, Greg? And who who does he rely on as a sounding board when he makes some of these decisions? I think he still does uh, listen to Bill Kenwright. So I think, I think you know, Bill's always had his ear up to a point. Uh, and, and, you know, when, when you 
consider Roberto Martinez's name being in the mix strongly as it is. Uh, you know, that's someone that, that Bill's always favoured. You know, they, they, there was interest, certainly from Bill, in, in him coming back before they appointed Benitez. And, you know, there's still a dialogue open there between between the chairman and uh, and the Belgian manager. So he will listen to him. He he has his own people around him or people he trusts. You know, there's, you know, his friendship with Keir Drabshan is well known. And, you know, he, he will listen to, to Keir's advice o- over things or his counsel. Um, and then, as David said earlier, you know, he will certainly listen to Alicia Osmanov as well, because, you know, their, their whole business career and his fortune has arguably been based on a, a successful working relationship with, with Alicia Osmanov. So, um, yeah, he'll, he'll listen to a mix of football and football-ish but very, very influential and wealthy and powerful people, I think. The intentions are clearly there. They wouldn't be spending so much money, building a new stadium, changing managers, bringing in staff, developing other infrastructure as well. But when you look at it, especially as an outsider, and Adam maybe have a wider view on this, it just seems like nothing they're doing is fit for purpose in the modern game, in the modern era, in the Premier League, in this multi-billion pound industry. It appears that they're not best in class in anything or anywhere near it or letting the people that are, in the case of somebody like Brands who they brought in with a good reputation, he's well regarded in the game, and other expertise around various levels of the club, most pertinently the managers get on with this and try and make a success of it. I, I don't want to use the phrase a plaything, but it seems like it's just going from one disaster to another. I think there is good intention. I think you're right. I think, I think it's a classic case of a very wealthy owner takes control of a club. Given the level of investment, it's clear they want to be competing amongst the best. I think the problem has maybe been the advice that he's taken at times. I think the problem has also been the level of control that he's wanted at certain moments or opinions that he's maybe wanted to give and not being able to delegate sufficiently, which have been common trends over the years with with owners that have come into English football. I don't think it's as drastic as the Venkis, for example, but the way the Venkis started off at Blackburn compared to how they run the club now, I think it's quite a good comparison in terms of how advisors can help shape you know the fortunes of, of how an owner does and how and how a club does as well the big issue this season has also been financial fair play and the fact that whoever was the manager of Everton at the start of this season was going to have a really difficult job and I think that's one of the reasons you know apart from the lure of Real Madrid that Carlo Ancelotti left was because he realized the summer transfer budget wasn't going to be what he hoped it would be to take the club forward so Benitez has had a very very you know, small budget to do business in in the summer. He actually made a couple of decent signings. Demari Gray, Andros Townsend have done all right. So I think it was always going to be a really difficult season. The problem is, I mean, they just so badly misread the mood on Benitez. There was there was nobody out there saying this is going to work. And yet somehow the two people who convinced themselves were Mashiri and Benitez. But Greg, is Adam's financial fair play point not all the more reason to be calm, considered, put the best possible structures, processes in place and try and build this in a really smart and organic way as we've seen at some other clubs. It ups the need for the best-in-class strive. It feels like they're doing the opposite, even in this window. The recruitment seems to have been for some quite significant sums of money, despite them being 
very hard up financially. The Luca Dean situation, Benitez clearly fell out with him. They get rid of him, then Benitez goes, then they're left with the players and staff that Benitez has brought in, and we're hearing that some of Benitez's staff is is going. Some may argue that Mashiri needs to take a tighter grip on day-to-day things and supplement his influence with really astute decision-making around him. It's just an an imperfect mess, isn't it? But if you think about the, the decision to allow Marcel Brands to go, yeah, Benitez, as we said earlier, you know, was kind of, in reality, always probably reluctant to be... He said, look, I've worked with directors of football before, but the reality is that that level of someone else having control over something he wants to control is, isn't usually going to work very well. But I don't think it was just him who wanted Brands gone or who wasn't particularly keen to listen to Brands' suggestions. I think Brands had become, a, as we've said earlier, had, had become a peripheral, peripheral figure before Rafa walked through the door. You know, he, he was never able to have the full import over managers that he wanted. He didn't appoint any of the managers that since, well, during his tenure. I don't think he even got effective say in terms of being in, in the last interviews often. What did he do? They're doing this structure structural review, which was they, they announced that when Brands left. And that's ongoing. And of course, now it's even more compounded by the fact that there's, there's no manager. But what do they decide? There's no guarantee that they'll decide. They need a, a director of football or a sporting director. So... Where do they go? Because they do need that systemic calmness and, and structure again, David, I agree. A lot of fans now are thinking back to what feels like a halcyon area when they, they had Ken Wright and, and Moyes. And it was just that very clean clean and clear line of power. You know, a hard manager who was demanding and it was just a simple structure up to the, the owner, chairman. Yes, they didn't have the money of machinery, but everyone sort of knew what they did. If they can't try and replicate that, and that will involve, I think, machinery either sitting back and, and really letting a new sporting director or manager do their job, then maybe that is the answer. Maybe he has to make all the appointments and then everything's on him. He's fully accountable then. Maybe, they to, I mean, and that has to be from a CEO, a director of football or not, and the manager. For all of structure and injuries and money and transfers and so on and so forth, directors of football, etc. Benitez and Everton were bloody awful at times, Greg. I mean, they were absolutely <laughs> terrible. I mean, I reckon we must have done Everton defending set pieces about six times this season on Match of the Day 2 already, and we're only in January. So some of that, a lot of that, is on him, surely. So this is another thing. So, yeah, as, as much as I have a degree of sympathy for Benitez and, and the way this is this is all panned out and I think he did have mitigation with injuries you know he, at various times he's been missing really important players Calvert-Lewin particularly Decore for periods out Richarlison at the same time when the dust settled maybe Benitez might one day hold his hands up and look at it I, I, I don't know but you're right he's he's made the situation worse with pretty uncharacteristic lapses which are going to you know, lead to people looking back and saying well is he a bit of a busted flush the defending from set pieces, as you say, there have been consistently shocking, and has not he's not seen to be able to stop that. The Brighton goal was one of the worst set piece goals I've seen a team concede in a long mm. time. When you get three experienced defenders drawn towards the ball and they leave one of the biggest players in the Premier League, completely yeah, six foot eight, Dan Burn at the back yeah. post, unmarked, yeah, yeah. just yeah. almost properly stunned that he had the opportunity. Yeah. But you know, and then the the tactical sort. Of you know glitches. You know he, he throws Jean Philippe Gabamen, who's ne- who's never really played a string of games for Everton, never really looked the part. He throws him in the first half at Wolves. 
in a two-man midfield. The player looks lost. Everton are lost. The game's lost. And it was all in that first 45 minutes. It does the same thing at Brighton. Again, yeah, there's, there's adversity. Part of it in down to his own man management, but Dean's frozen out. So he decides to play Mason Holgate, who is an average at the moment, right-footed sided centre-back. He plays him on the left and shoves, you know, Seamus Coleman, who, who's a right, very yeah. right-footed and ageing right-back as left wing-back and just basically invites Brighton to attack down that channel. And they do, they have, they have a field day. And then you could even roll that out to what was going on at Carrow Road. He's got Richarlison on the bench, who's probably one of the game, one of his better players. He starts Solomon Rondon in a really weird hybrid role between Calvert-Lewin and a midfield, which if you've watched anything of Rondon this season, he certainly hasn't got legs to be running the channels or he doesn't seem to have the nuanced players in number 10. It doesn't work. He's not been classic Rafa either. It's been very challenging circumstances for him. But what I would just add is as well, sometimes the players, you've got to look at some of these players and think, how many managers have some of these players seen off now? Michael Keane, I don't think it's from an attitude point of view of Michael Keane, but I just, the errors for such an experienced central defender, the error against Norwich, he's been making mistakes all season. Big, big things that, you know, when have you, one of your most experienced centre-backs is doing that, it's going to make life more difficult for you. Sorry to bring this back to process, guys, but where was the interview process for Benitez? To, and and maybe other managers and the current managerial situation that they're going to have to make a new appointment for. And because in from my knowledge of some of these situations, that's where you talk through a lot of these things. Now, of course, there are so many variables and it can start to go wrong and not go to plan. And there are factors like injuries and not being able to get players from the market and things like that. You know, covering all bases and turning every over every stone in the lead up to making an appointment like this is that a director of football and an ownership and a board of directors tend now at many clubs to run the numbers, do their due diligence, take references, interview multiple times the candidate. So they try to mitigate as many risks as possible before going into that relationship. And it appears that Everton have been doing none of that. I, I stand to be corrected, but Brands wasn't involved in the appointment of Benitez. Ancelotti, you kind of know what you're getting, and that was a pretty impressive appointment in terms of name, but a year later, he got one call from Real Madrid and he was gone. That's probably a base that you would cover in the, in the build-up to an appointment. And now again, it's just almost coronated that Roberto Martinez is coming back if Everton can get an agreement with the Belgian FA. And if not, then it's Rooney. But, you know, what kind of preparation is that? It does feel at times like Everton have about five phone numbers in the boardroom telephone book and they just sort of go on loop. Um, To move it on slightly to, you know, who they would like to come in, you know, the names that have been mentioned, Wayne Rooney, uh, Roberto Martinez, Duncan Ferguson, there's even been a mention for Jose Mourinho. But you just start to look at that and you think, what is your... What do you want to be as a football club? What do you want your football team to be? Because they are all telling me different, very, very different things. And that's, you know, that's one of the, the issues they have. You know, Martinez, I think he's a slightly different coach to what he was when he left Everton. I think he is more pragmatic now and a little bit I- less idealistic than he would have described himself as 
five years ago. So I think some of those defensive issues may be a little bit better. But at the same time, there's a lot of people probably who still work for Everton and people who pay ticket, you know, pay money to go to Everton who will remember how it ended with, you know, fans, was it Greg staging almost like a sitting outside the stadium because they wanted him to leave the club. There was, you know, people really calling for him to go. People had really turned on him. And I think it was probably the one moment in his career where maybe he, even he and himself lost a little bit of his composure as well. And I remember seeing him just a few months after that and it was really raw. It was really w- raw, wounded. He felt the way that his his period there had been framed was a little bit unfair on him. But at the same time, he also recognised that the last year or so there just wasn't good enough. There's also some honesty needed on, on our part. I remember doing podcasts and videos around the time of Benitez's appointment where there was despite the criticism from a section of the fan base and um, some predictions that we would end up in this position, there was also a lot of optimism that they'd brought in a manager from an elite level who could perhaps build something in a way that Ancelotti didn't and help Everton move towards this new stadium in 2024 in, in decent shape. It's easy to say a lot of this after the event. Like Everton are a great club with huge potential and, and the stadium project should be so exciting. And I think that's what upsets so many fans and, and people around the club and inside the club that it's not being fulfilled and it's not for the want of trying, probably in terms of some of the spending, trying too hard and the potential is is not being capitalized on time and time again and and that's the frustration that they're not a club that are below their level and and striving for better and messing up it's there to be capitalized on and it's actually quite sad as a neutral I'm sure Liverpool fans and and rivals of Everton wouldn't agree to see it going to waste year after year what kind of manager do they need Greg look there's a trend isn't there towards in football towards going and Steven Gerrard and I'm not suggesting he isn't strong but younger managers um, who, who've got that gravitas in, in the dressing room from very recent living memory so Wayne Rooney for example could be in that bracket to go for someone like Wayne Frank Lampard even I just can't see how that works with the with the, the messy structures at Everton at the moment and the, the very I think it's too big a job at the moment with the lack of those streamlined ways of working, the lack of support maybe sometimes for, for managers, unless they can sort out the, that review very quickly. So it's got, I would say, someone experienced. And then ultimately, they have to have a genuine willingness to listen to the fans. And I don't, obviously, clearly, I don't mean, you know, sort of hiring by, you know, Goodison mandate and let, let the fans decide. But it was clear they, none of we, we, you know, we just said it was clear they didn't want Benitez. It wasn't even split. It was just none of them really wanted him and only a very small portion thawed briefly. Roberto, you know, that would be at best a split reception from the fans. And you would still have the issue that if things didn't go well straight away, quite a lot of the fans that, that wanted him gone and staged that sit-in protest and remember some of the the really bad times at the end would just turn on him just as quickly. So maybe it's better to have, you know, an experienced manager with no links to Everton. Maybe you go and find somebody who can come in with a fresh set of eyes, you know, not on the old boys network, um, who can come in, maybe work with a sporting director who's used to doing that at a, a foreign club in Europe and um, and see if they can, they can have a run at it. But, you know, we'll say all the cliches, you know, they're going to need time. 
that they'll need to be given <laughs> some of their, you know, they'll have their own ideas who they want to sign, but they will be inheriting a squad now with, as Adam said, I think, five or six different blend of different managers' signings. This structural review has, has never been more important. It should have happened far sooner, but it's going to be pivotal. And in a sense, until that's sorted, it doesn't really matter who the coach is. I'd extend Greg's point on strength to the dugout itself and the people there around the manager. I think they need to bring in a really strong coaching unit that have a very clear plan for the first time. And I'm sure Benitez had his own ideas we know he did. I'm not sure Ancelotti did, other than the philosophy that he he takes wherever he goes and they brought in some, some star names. But a coaching setup that can exert their strength, whether it's Martinez and Thierry Henry and their, the, the core that they've got at Belgium, if that indeed is going to happen. I don't know if that would be the, the case with Rooney and, and, and his surrounds, but they seem pretty tight-knit at Derby. So that this whatever you call it, influence from above or around, can't penetrate as easily. And you get, I know I said earlier in this podcast that they did get time and and, and a bit of freedom within their jobs. But what I mean is the strength of that coaching staff to actually take the club by the scruff of the neck and decide whatever's going above and around, we're going to drive it forward. And I would be quite intrigued, speculatively. I would be really intrigued to see what Martinez and Henri could do together. I think Henri might bring some excitement among the Everton ownership who um, have an affinity and a background with Arsenal. But I do think the core of that coaching team needs to maybe have a really clear methodology plan to take Everton forward that can perhaps keep the hierarchy at bay. Greg, is the preference to have an interim manager? Because that's that's what it seems to be at the moment that they're trying to agree with the Belgium FA and Roberto Martinez to have a solution until the end of the season. And that's even the suggestion. And I'm sure Wayne Rooney would push for it to be a longer term thing if it was to get to the point where, where he's at the forefront of discussions. Do the club seem to want to go down this, this route that Manchester United have followed of let's just tide it over and then look at a blank canvas in the summer as usual i think the answer is they're not sure what they want because the official <laughs> statement at three o'clock yesterday three-line statement concluded with um the line a announcement on the permanent next manager will, will arrive in due course but then as you rightly say sound noises we've heard since then is that you know that they would consider interim and almost give them till the summer to take a more considered decision on whether or not the interim candidate is the, is the right person or whether there's somebody else because it's not ideal trying to find somebody at the moment just as it isn't in terms of transfer sometimes transfer dealings in january so um <laughs> i think they're open to, to everything and, and anything in that respect but i mean you know you'll know whether or not that would work for roberto to come in on an interim basis to walk uh, i mean there's the job share prospect <laughs> that still remains just, uh, I, I couldn't say how that, that would work, but I know Belgium haven't got that many fixtures between now and the, and the end of the Premier League season. But I just, would you think that could work? He has before, you know, in conversations with other clubs, there's been the suggestion, could Roberto Martinez share the job with a club um, in a way that we, we don't really see it these days with international managers. It maybe happened in the past, but I think, there's been an anxiety sort of on all parts about that because if things don't go that well, 
then you look a bit distracted. You don't have international break to work with players, as in work with your club players in a way that you might if you were the club manager. I think there's also an anxiety from Martinez's perspective in that he's built up a really good reputation in Belgium. He's very popular with Belgian people. I mean, the the, gre- the greeting he got in the main square in Brussels after the World Cup was a bit of a hero's reception. So I think for him to even give the slightest impression of being distracted in the run-up to a, to a World Cup, I, I think it's a slightly dangerous game for him to play. And then the other problem that everyone will have is, what if it goes well? What if it goes really well until the end of the season? Because then Everton will want him to stay. He'd probably want to stay. And then all of a sudden, what he'll be doing, you know, June is the um, the Nations League. Then you've got September friendlies and then you've got a World Cup. I don't think it's practical to, to have a job share arrangement, but I don't know, football's weird. <laughs> if you speak to people around the likes of Arsenal and Newcastle who have talked to um, Martinez in the past about their vacancies, he has um, expressed an interest in taking it alongside his Belgium duties. So I'd watch this space on that one because what I'm hearing is that Everton's preference, whether it materialises or not, is to make an interim appointment until the summer and then decide which way to go with a bit more time and space and less intense pressure of the season uh, taking place at that moment in time. And one point we haven't mentioned is whoever comes in now is basically going to have missed the transfer window unless they do it imminently. You know, we're coming towards the end of the month and then recruitment is going to be done by who? I have no idea. I don't know who's left from the recruitment team. Uh, Benitez had taken control of that by the time he was sacked. And so it's a really unenviable position. David, it's not just recruitment. It's the head of medical, the director of medical um Danny Donaghy left a few months ago Jamie Harley and Christian Fernandez came in from Newcastle um who had been part of Rafa Benitez's team there it looks like they're going to be leaving that's the likelihood as a result of of, of Benitez leaving the club so you've got this completely stripped back operation as a club that an interim manager has to come and take care of As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Obviously, plenty of transfer stories on The Athletic at the moment. One of of the most interesting 
uh, is the one that Jay Harris has on Brentford, having made an offer to Christian Eriksen of a six-month deal. Jay joins us now. This this will raise eyebrows for a whole variety of reasons, won't it? Yeah, and this is uh, this could be a really sensational return to the Premier League for, for Christian Eriksen. We obviously all heard last week about his agent talking about how he'd like to come back to the Premier League in London in particular. And I think there's obviously a connection with, with Brentford. We all know that they've got a massive Danish angle at the club. And um, Thomas Frank obviously managed Christian Eriksen when he was in charge of Denmark's under-17s 10 or so years ago. Um, and from what I understand, the club are, are really keen on, on pushing through a deal for Eriksen. They've offered him a, a short-term contract, which would be six months with, a, with an option for a further year. There's obviously a long way to go until it's completed, but this could be you know, one of the most fascinating stories of the window. So what happens now then? Because I would imagine there is an awful lot that needs to be done here by the club in particular. What is important to stress is that Ericsson has offers from lots of different clubs. You know, this is a player who at his prime is one of the best players in the Premier League. And obviously there's still a lot of uncertainty about what his situation is, you know, with his um, advice that he has in his heart. So... I'm sure Brentford would have to go through the correct processes to make sure that Ericsson is fit enough to play in the Premier League. Obviously, he's been prevented from playing in Serie A. So that would all have to get sorted out. And from what I understand, the player's really keen on, on moving to London, so it would make sense. But, you know, if other teams are, are interested as well, maybe Crystal Palace, West Ham, you don't know for definite, that could potentially jeopardise the move. But exciting, to say the least. Adam? He's He's been training by himself, hasn't he, in recent weeks. And he's done a couple of interviews as well. So it's been clear in this window that you know, he wants to, to get back back into the game. I mean, the important thing to say is, obviously, I think it was the Italian um, Serie A scientific committee made the decision on him not being able to play in Italy at the moment. But when Inter released him, they actually said, although the current conditions of the player don't meet the requirements of achieving sporting fitness in Italy, the same could instead be achieved in other countries where the player could resume competitive activity. I'm not sure... What that distinction? What that distinction is? I'm sure a lot will come out about that in the coming days, in terms of from the Premier League and English FA perspective. And obviously, Brentford will be doing their own checks, and I'm sure insurance and all those sort of conversations will be coming into it. But it's an incredible story that Jay's broken, and also an incredible, you know, it was what it was the arguably the sporting moment of last year when those Danish players kept. You know, kept Ericsson alive and the doctors that were there on the day and you know to see him back in the Premier League back living in London would be would be unbelievable. Inter Milan have have now no hold over Ericsson whatsoever that's but that's presumably the first thing to make clear. They basically released him from his contract when it was determined that he could no longer uh, play in Italy as, as Adams just mentioned. And therefore the, the second part of that is I, I know they've offered him a six-month contract but I'm guessing there's there's no rush on actually getting all of this through because he's a, a free agent. They can monitor what his situation is. They can potentially get him in for a while and see how he's kind of stacking up on a fitness scale. And also just to go from actually what that would mean to Brentford on the pitch, obviously Ivan Tony coming up from the Championships was supposed to be this really great striker. And we've certainly seen flashes of that this season. But something Brentford have really struggled with recently is getting Tony into positions in the box. So I want to make very clear that this wouldn't be a... A nice fairy tale story. Ericsson comes back just because Brentford can do it. That actually is an argument to say that this really does improve their first team squad. They've really suffered with a lack of creativity. And Ericsson could potentially solve that problem. The only other issue to think about is that Josh De Silva, who's 23 years old, a player that they really love at the club, 
is also coming back from a long-term injury. So if you bring back Ericsson, do you then stop his pathway potentially? So lots of interesting things that the club need to consider. But as you said, they've got the time to think of it through thoroughly. It's, it's also what happens now in response to you know this story that's, that's, that's gone public. If he's good, in, if he's fit enough for Brentford to play in the yeah. Premier League, then surely he'd be fit enough to play for a club at a different at the other end of the table. So it'll be interesting to see what interest is provoked by you know by Brentford going for him. If you just look at some of the other clubs around there. I mean, Newcastle could do with a player like Christian Eriksen, and maybe a club like Burnley have got a bit of money to spend after Chris Wood. So it's interesting just to see what level club comes into this race because that that's probably the biggest threat for Brentford I know also is it Thomas Frank had um did a bit of coaching of Ericsson and the Danish youth teams so there is a relationship there there's a Danish link at the top of, of Brentford as well what do Brentford offer Ericsson that other teams can't well at the moment Brentford are in a pretty stable position in the league they're not immediately worried about relegation although obviously that's still their primary purpose this season if Ericsson goes into a club like Newcastle Burnley then he's probably going to be expected to deliver quite like, straight away. And there's going to be question marks over whether, one, that's fair and if he'll be able to deal with that pressure. If he goes higher up the divisions, he's not going to be a guaranteed starter. And he's made it very clear that his aim is to get into the, the Denmark squad for the World Cup in Qatar in December, November, December. Whereas at Brentford, he knows that they have a need, as I've just mentioned, with the creative hole that they've got at the moment. He knows he's going to be supported by the club through Tom's Frank. And I think they've got six or seven uh, Danish players in their first team squad who've all kind of grown up looking up to Ericsson as well. So almost the narrative just seems to be leading us towards this really nice reunion for him at Brentford with all these players. And they're taking the chance that they are the ones who have gone first. You know, if I, I think if I was in Christian Ericsson's position, I'd have a lot of time and respect for, the, you know, the first club to properly go for you. I, I don't think you easily put that aside um maybe maybe i'm wrong but I, I i do think that's something that that will will have a big bearing over it all right that's it thanks for listening you can subscribe to the athletic and get a 33 percent discount by heading to the athletic.com slash football pod and the Athletic are recording daily transfer shows that bring you exclusive news and insights on any deals during the January window. The only place that you can hear those podcasts is on the Athletic app or by subscribing to the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. You can start your free trial today. I'm back on Thursday with the Business of Sport pod. The Athletic.